Welcome to the Dialogue Book Report, where we talk about books and literature of interest to LDS readers. I'm Andrew Hall, the Literature Book Review Editor at Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought, coming to you from Fukuoka, Japan, where I teach Japanese history at Kyushu University. I'm joined today by two of my favorite book readers, Christina Rossetti and Andrew Hamilton. Christina holds a PhD in Religious Studies from the University of California, Riverside. She publishes and speaks widely on Mormon fundamentalism, and she's the nonfiction book review editor at Dialogue. Christina, welcome. Hi, so excited for this. Also, Andrew Hamilton. Andrew is the book review editor at the Association for Mormon Letters and teaches English at the College of Southern Idaho. Andrew, welcome. Hello from Potato Land. <laughs> well, today we're going to do a book roundup. Uh, we're going to look at the books that have been published in Mormon studies and related fields in 2021. And we're not going to cover everything, but books that have crossed our radar that we're interested in and we want to make sure that you know about. Let's start with some history books. And Christina and Andrew are both have lots of ideas of things they want to talk about. <laughs> Christina, what have you been reading? Let's start with the first president of the LDS church <laughs> and when he ran for president. Spencer McBride wrote uh, Joseph Smith for President, The Prophet, The Assassin, and the Fight for American Religious Freedom. Um, Oxford published it. I think it was one of the first Mormon studies books that came out this year. Uh, and this had been a long time coming of an in-depth study of the political climate of Nauvoo and Joseph Smith's role in it. And I think it's generally just a really great foundational work for people who are trying to understand what Latter-day Saint involvement in politics was and all the controversies that kind of surrounded that. All right. So that's Joseph Smith. Any more prophets? Brigham Young, hit colonizer of the American West signature, did his diaries and office journals, I think it is. And I was really excited for this for two reasons. First, signature, I think, does some of the best documentary histories in general in Mormon studies. But secondarily, you know, the Joseph Smith Papers is starting to wind down. And to my knowledge, there is no foreseeable plan to like transition to the Brigham Young Papers. And so this really is kind of the closest look at the diaries of Brigham Young that we have. I mean, and Brigham Young's writings are vast. For anyone who's read, like even looked through the journal discourses, he wrote a lot and his diaries are similar. Um, so for anyone who's interested in um, the American West, the saints' involvement in the American West, I think this is going to be generally a really great resource. So again, it's not a narrative. It is a documentary history. So you have to really love primary sources to dig into it and to be excited about it. But I think this is going to be an invaluable resource for people who are interested in the history of the American West. Did he take very detailed diaries? Um, yes, he did. Um, oh. And his his journal, his office journals are pretty detailed as well. I'm not a scholar of the 19th century, so outside of the Council of 15 Minutes that was published a few years ago, um, this really is my only experience reading documents from that era of Mormon, his primary source documents mm -hmm. from that era. So that was exciting to me. And George D. Smith, so he had access to the full diaries when he, when he published that? It is a particular segment. It's 19... I believe it is 1832 to 1871. Wow, 32. Okay, great. All right, what else is on your radar? One of the books that I was really excited about was Condon Smith and Michael Harrod Paula's is Reed Smoot, The Investigation of a Mormon Senator and the Transformation of an American Religion. Uh, we have a Reed Smoot book. Kathleen Flake did the foundational uh -huh. book on the Reed Smoot hearings um, and the relationship with polygamy and polygamy's history. 
Um, I was really excited for this because we have so many books coming out right now that are kind of doing critical analyses of Mormonism becoming an American religion. Peter Caviello did Make Yourselves Gods on Mormonism's interaction with American secularism in terms of polygamy. David Walker did an incredible book on capitalist fervor and how that participated in American secularism. So I think this is kind of another really great book to add to that genre of this really interesting turn of the century process by which Mormonism becomes a religion in the United States American religious landscape. So I thought that was really exciting to kind of look at the Smoot hearings through the lens of this kind of more like smaller subset of history Mm. that we're all talking about in terms of there is LDS history, but this really specific question of at what point does Mormonism become just an Amer- another American religion. So I think this is a really great addition to that conversation. So it focuses on the hearings themselves, not on the whole life of Reed Smoot? Yes. So it's on that conundrum of what happens when he, when once again, Latter-day Saints are being questioned in terms of, are you still doing the polygamy thing? And can you be an American religion if you are? You know, we've been talking about this for a while in terms of, you know, re-examining the Second Manifesto. Um, But I think it's a timely book in terms of all the other books that have come out that have been trying to pinpoint this phenomenon. We talk a lot about Mormonism as that it became kind of Protestant, it became kind of normalized in American religion. But there haven't been, I think, enough investigations on that phenomenon. So this was an exciting moment. Who's the author of that? Uh, Condon Smith Hansen and Michael Harold uh, Harold Paulus, and it was published through University of Colorado and Utah State University Press. Okay, great. Just a couple things to add. It's a collection of essays. Uh, some are new for this volume. Some were previously published, like the Journal of Mormon History, and that kind of thing. So contributors include like uh, Gary Bergera, the two authors that. Christina just mentioned, uh, Ken Cannon, Catherine Danes. And and one thing that might attract some people is that the appendix was written by D. Michael Quinn. It was based on work he had originally done in the 80s. He was revising for a book on polygamy that was unfinished when he passed away. So I think this is probably like the final published thing that we may get from Mike Quinn, unless there's something out there his family is going to put together of his unfinished work or something like that. That's exciting because if anyone, like for everyone who's read a Mike Quinn book, his appendices are exactly the same length as the actual book. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had been working on post-manifesto polygamy stuff forever. He had so many incredible documents. So yeah, that's a really invaluable resource. All right. What's next? Uh, Sally in Three Worlds came out, an Indian captive in the house of Brigham Young. Uh, Virginia Kearns published this work to kind of look at, do a really deep dive investigation into the life of an indigenous woman who was brought into the home of Brigham Young and was a servant for Brigham Young for years. This is a person who has kind of remained in the shadows of Mormon history that we we see pictures of like this woman quite frequently, um, but there hasn't been anything really substantial done on specifically her Really, it's kind of looking at how she's remembered later on as this like indigenous wild person who had been kind of civilized and what a civil and this like civilizing narrative of indigenous people. And so in that way, she her story really becomes a microcosm of this bigger narrative of Mormon colonialism Mm -hmm. in the American West. 
It's a fascinating book. I also read it over the summer and really loved it. I believe the third world would be that after being in Brigham Young's home for many years, she's kind of forced out to marry one of the local chiefs uh, to kind of help form form a bridge between the local tribes and, and Brigham Young and the church. One thing I think helps make it very important is that it really helps to contextualize just the impact that the, the Mormons moving to Utah had on the local indigenous, not only the cultures and the natives there, but just the land in general. Uh, one fascinating thing she brings up is that anybody who grew up Mormon or in Utah has heard the story of the crickets and the seagulls and all of that. And she helps to point out that when the Mormons came in, they drove off or killed all of the native animals and all of the, the animals that would have eaten the smaller animals and the bugs. They pull out all the native plants and they plant their own plants. So they basically created the cricket problem themselves by removing all of the predators and removing all of the crickets' natural food. So what else is going to happen? It's, it's a fascinating book. I really, it's important. This is one I highly recommend that people read. Well, Andrew, did you have any other history books that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, a couple really quick. So Signature Books has done several biographies and histories recently. Uh, one of their most recent is B.H. Roberts, A Life in the Public Arena. This kind of fits in this similar time period as the uh, Reed Smoot hearings. This is kind of focusing on just before B.H. Roberts' public life and his time as a politician and when he ran for uh, the House of Representatives and being denied his seat there and covers a lot of his public work and his public leadership. It's a very good and detailed biography. It's close to 550 pages long. So if you're very interested in that kind of 1890s, you know, beginning of the 1900s time frame and all the history uh, that's going on there with polygamy and some of the other things that Christina mentioned, uh, that's a very good book to pick up. So it's interesting, we kind of have a, a through line of books about LDS uh, interactions with national politics, starting with the Joseph Smith for President book, and then the B.H. Yeah. Roberts, and then the Reed Smoot hearings. Excellent point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, it really kind of covers the whole whole uh, gamut there. Another one that Signature has done, so way back in the 1970s, Stephen Shields wrote a little book called The Virgin Paths of the Restoration. He then released a larger second and third edition before the early 80s were done. And those first editions had about 200 pages and just mentioned a few of the various groups that could tie themselves back to Joseph Smith. Over the summer, he released the enlarged fifth edition. It's a thousand pages long, and he notes just over 500 organizations that can all connect back to Joseph Smith. It's digital only, which actually kind of helps in this respect because it helps you to move around and, and see all. It would be kind of unwieldy as a, as a hardback book. And he uses kind of, a, for lack of a better way to put it, kind of a Dewey Decimal numbering system that helps to show uh, like the original church is number one, and then anything kind of from that time period has a one and then a number. The current LDS church, anything connected to that starts with a four, and they, he just really breaks it down, and you see all the connections. It, it's absolutely fascinating to see just how all of these groups connect to each other and this tendency to split off and break up and, and kind of start your own group. It, it's very interesting and fascinating. So this is Divergent Paths of the Restoration Review, an Encyclopedia of the Smith-Rigdon Movement. Correct. Why does he use that title, Smith-Rigdon Movement? That's an interesting choice. Yeah, so Steve Shields goes into detail on why he does that in his introduction. 
And obviously Joseph Smith started the, the movement and he felt that he was really impacted by the doctrines and things that Rigdon added. Part of the reason for that is there are other churches or groups that call themselves a restoration or a restoration movement. So he didn't want to just go with that. Not every group within the umbrella of the Smith movement is Latter-day Saints or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Many object to being called Mormons or using that reference. So he feels like this is kind of a neutral reference that kind of covers the whole movement. Okay. Any other books you want to talk about? Any other history books? Yeah. So Signature is starting another series on what they call Life and Thought. These are going to be a series of short books on various uh, leaders from the uh, LDS Church. The first one is Harold B. Lee, and it was written by Newell Bringhurst, and it's just barely over 100 pages long, gives a brief biography and some of his thoughts and ideas and the theology and other things he brought to the church. Uh, there are going to be others on leaders from uh, the very beginning of Mormonism up until the current day. So it ought to be a fun little series. Looking at them on the, on the bookshelf, it's similar size and similar idea to the Introductions to Mormon Thought series from University of Illinois Press. Kind of short biographies. Do you know what, what other one signature is planning on doing? Yes, Andrew, the second volume will be on William Clayton by Devery Anderson. Uh, he works for Signature Books and has written a number of volumes for them, as well as he wrote a biography of... of Emmett Till that was actually recently made into a movie by ABC that will be premiering in January uh, on women of the movement. And it's about the civil rights movement and they're telling uh, Emmett Till's story first. Uh, yeah. So Devery does a lot of great books and the, these should be a really good series. So this brings to mind the university of Illinois series, which I believe you're part of Christina, right? Can you introduce that series to us? Yeah. So the, um, University of Illinois series is being co-edited by um, Matthew Bowman, who is the chair of Mormon studies at CGU, and Joseph Spencer at um, Brigham Young University. And it is a short series of books on more, the great kind of Mormon intellectual contributors. So the idea behind it is that so much of Mormon studies is kind of going in new directions of international Mormon studies, but also looking at minority groups in Mormonism, kind of making Mormonism bigger than just the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So people will be familiar so far that Christine Hagland has um, done a book on Eugene England. Michael Austin's book on Vardis Fisher is coming out. Mine on uh, St. Joseph White Musser. George Handley has one coming out on Lowell Benyon. Um, and Chris Talbot is going to be having one come out about Sonia Johnson. So it is a wide range of people when um, to kind of expand what people think of as who are intellectual contributors to Mormon thought. We kind of assume it's people who are leaders in the church or people who are religious teachers of uh, professors of religion at BYU, but kind of thinking bigger of who is contributing to the intellectual life of Mormons. Yeah, it's a great start with these with the Eugene England book, which is a fabulous book by Christine Hagland. And I, I really appreciate the the structure of these books. I mean, they're short and they focus there's biographies in them, but the focus is on their thought, the, the place of their thought in the larger Mormon community and Mormon world. And so the second book that came out, Mike Austin's book on Vardis Fisher, Vardis Fisher grew up in a Mormon community, but he was was not a believing member of the church for most of his life and 
it's it's full of this great Michael Austin voice. You know, he's got he's got a great writing style, very humorous, and this Vardis Fisher is quite a character. So Vardis Fisher is is a leading novelist of the mid 20th century, early to mid 20th century. A lot of best-selling novels, most famously for us at least, The Children of God, which is about Joseph Smith and the early LDS Church, and it's kind of seen as the great novel about the LDS movement in the early 20th century. But, you know, he's never, he was never a believing member of the church, but Mike says, Vardis Fisher didn't belong to any church, but the church that he didn't belong to was the Mormon church. You know, he was very, he, throughout his life, he still identified as someone who had grown up uh, as a Mormon. So anyways, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the other upcoming books in that series. Now, Christina, you also had a book you want to talk about called The Great Awakening. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So uh, Chase Westfall did a gallery exhibit kind of looking through The Great Awakening, contextualizing Joseph Smith in The Great Awakening through art. He looks at um, the early moments of Latter-day Saint vision and revelation um, through the lens of art and contemporary art. And he wrote a gallery exhibit, little pamphlet, little, it's 133 pages, about what kind of the purpose behind this. And one of the things that was really interesting is looking at how um, a lot of art in general helps people deal with opposites and reconciling kind of tensions and how art can be a avenue for people to look at historic moments in a way that can be productive and fruitful to deal with really complicated histories. What's nice about this exhibit is it's it's not just speaking to faithful Latter-day Saints, but I think it's something that people who have any connection to Mormonism could find really valuable. Where was the exhibit? At Center Gallery in New York City. We mentioned the book on Eugene England from the University of Illinois series. Uh, the University of North Carolina also happened to do a book on Eugene England that came out about the same time. This one is called Stretching the Heavens, the Life of Eugene England and the Crisis of Modern Mormonism by Terrell Givens. And it's kind of a combination biography and, again, kind of thought and beliefs. And Givens kind of tells his story and puts it into context of all the things that were going on at the time in Mormonism and the various challenges and questions that people were having. Uh, tells of his story of being forced to resign from BYU and the various other kind of things and beliefs that he believed and taught. Uh, so if you're really into Eugene England, now's a good time because you've got the thicker, little more detailed version of the story from the University of North Carolina and a little bit briefer capsulization of his life and, and thought from Hogland and uh, the University of Illinois. So it's a good time for Eugene England fans. It sure is. We, we had two great uh, interviews with both Givens and Hoglin in recent months, and so we really appreciate that. Also, the Association for Mormon Letters has just announced that their 2022 conference is going to be on the legacy of Eugene England. And so there's a, there's a call for papers out right now. Both Christine and Terrell hopefully will be participating in that. Terrell might be, have to be online because he might be out of the country. But they both plan on participating. Also, members of the Eugene England family will be participating. And we're excited to, excited to focus on both his life and especially his impact on literature, literary criticism. Okay, how about Continuing Revelation by Buchanan? Signature Books has done a series of books of compiled essays recently. Uh, they had one last year on uh, essays relating to the temple. 
that was edited by Christian Larson. And this year they've done a second uh, book on Why I Stay, uh, which was edited by Robert Reese and compiled uh, the number of talks from the Why I Stay session at Sunstone over the last about decade. And their second one this year was Continuing Revelation, edited by Brian Buchanan, and it's a compilation of essays by a number of different authors, including Stephen Peck, Shannon Flynn, Boyd Peterson, Kelly Potter, uh, and many others on things relating to revelation inside of the LDS church. And there's some very fascinating essays and subjects here. Blair Osler writes about Heavenly Mother. Uh, Shannon Flynn tackles the subject of the three subdegrees in the celestial kingdom, and just a number of other kind of fascinating and fun essays. So if you're interested in, you know, a little bit of revelation and history and theology about revelation in the LDS church, that would be a fun volume to pick up. He does a great job with his Sunstone History Podcast with Lindsay Hanson Park, and I, I really enjoy their uh, well-scripted and uh, well-prepared podcast. Uh, now, you mentioned Blair Osler there, and her book, Queer Mormon Theology, came out early in 221, and I think both of you read that. What do you think of that book? By Common Consent Press has released a number of excellent books over the last several years, and this is another in their series, Blair Osler, Queer Mormon Theology, and Introduction. Again, it's a very brief book. It's only about 130 pages long, but it's absolutely beautiful. This is one of my favorite books that I read this year. She really helps to give a feel for what it means to be a queer person in the LDS church and how just taking what is kind of already in place, how we can have a better understanding of how theology can be better understood from a queer perspective in the LDS church. And she has chapters on theology, God, Christ, the family, uh, sexuality and creation and other things. And I just absolutely love the way she makes her subject be so relatable and helps us to appreciate better what it means to be queer and be in the LDS church and how that experience could be made better for people who are queer. It's just a beautiful book. I, I, I own like four copies and I pass them around to everybody I know. So I hope that lots of people read this book. Yeah, I just want to echo what Andrew said that um, one of the things that's so great about the work Blair has done generally is that she's really taken what Mormonism already has and, you know, in her own words so often, creating a more expansive vision of what Mormon theology can be. I mean, Mormons are, they were a peculiar people. And she takes that and says, what could be more Mormon then than a queer theology? Um, and she's spoken quite a bit on what this would look like for more controversial issues in the church. People you know, are more and more having conversations of what does heaven look like in Mormonism, um, especially with 132 and whatnot. And she takes these complicated ideas and actually starts conversations about how people can queer Mormon history and then what that can ultimately do for people on the ground. And one of the things I just, I really love about it is, you know, Blair herself identifies as a queer Mormon. And so she's not just speaking to this theologically and historically, she's speaking to like boots on the ground people. Like this affects people's lives every day. And I, I just think that her writing really speaks to real people. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so hot. It's so easy when we write or like read history to kind of imagine you know, this doesn't have anything to do with us, but, you know, this work is so vital. Um, and she really makes that known that this is something, this is a conversation that isn't just kind of a good idea to have, but this is something we need to talk about. I see on your bookshelf, Andrew, that you have Why I Stay yes. by Robert Reese. What is that? So Why I Stay 
is a session at Sunstone uh, that was started in the late 90s, I believe. And people uh, like Blair Osler, for instance, who we were just mentioning, she spoke at that session this year. Other people who have had challenges with the church, scholars and authors and uh, artists and a variety of people uh, whose names might be somewhat recognizable will speak at this session every year, three to four people, uh, kind of telling their story and the challenges they face and why they choose to stay part of the LDS church despite the challenges they've seen. Back in 2010, I believe it was, Robert Reese took kind of the first decade or so of these talks and compiled them into Why I Stay, number one. And this is from the second decade now. A number of great authors, Carolyn Pearson, Eric Samuelson, uh, the playwright from BYU who passed away recently, Kurt Bench, who also passed away recently uh, from Benchmark Books, Dan Witherspoon, Emma Lou uh, Warner Thane, who also passed away recently, uh, has it. So just a lot of great authors and names that people are sure to be familiar with, kind of telling their story and their challenges uh, with the church, but why they continue to associate with it. If you know anyone that's maybe kind of being challenged or concerned, but but they might be interested in you know having a connection to the church, it's an excellent book. One, I, I think you actually wanted to maybe touch on this author, maybe kind of lead in here, but uh, Charles uh, Shiro Inoue has a, an essay in here. Uh, excellent, excellent essay. And we're talking to him in a podcast uh, later this week, so I'm excited about that. His memoir came out this year from Maxwell Institute called Zion Earth Zen Sky, which I think is just a beautiful memoir. I'm very touched by him, by his his faith journey, his experiences, like you say, as an Asian American in a overwhelmingly white church in growing up in rural Utah, where his family was literally the only uh, Asian American family there. And the beautiful stories of his family and the way that he has used Buddhism and some of the things that he's learned in Buddhism to widen his appreciation of the divine and of how to live uh, humanely. I just can't say enough about this book. And I love the way that how he broadens the LDS message with the Buddhist ideas that he brings in from his studies. And Charles's book is part of the Maxwell Institute's Living Faith series of basically memoirs by scholars talking about how their scholarship has affected, impacted their faith and how, you know, the kind of life of the mind and, and the life of the spirit go together. And another book in that series that came out this year is Samuel M. Brown's Where the Soul Hungers, One Doctor's Journey from Atheism to Faith. So, Andrew, it's been a year for series. We touched on the Maxwell series and the Signature series and the University of Illinois series. Desert Book has also started a new series of books. Theirs are called Let's Talk About. They're tackling both history related to the LDS Church as well as some theology and teachings. The first two are called Let's Talk About Polygamy and Let's Talk About Religion and Mental Health. Mm. These are also short, small books. And when I say small, it's literal. I can fit it in my shirt pocket if I'm wearing a dress shirt. They're just over 100 pages long, so you're not getting a ton of detail. But they do try to tackle some of the tougher elements related to these subjects. So, for instance, in the book on polygamy, uh, 
you get about 35 or so pages worth of history. And I should say with these, the authors are experts in these various fields. So the one on polygamy is written by Brittany Chapman Nash, who, who has worked for the LDS Church History Department. She's worked on the Joseph Smith Papers. Uh, she's got a master's degree in Victorian women's studies from the University of Leicester, England. So she's got some background in these subjects. The first third of the book is on the history of polygamy, and you're not going to get very much in 35 or 40 pages, but she does touch on the very beginnings of polygamy in the early 1830s, including uh, Fanny Alger, and she goes right up into the post-manifesto polygamy and some of the things with the second manifesto and other stuff that were going on. She then has a section on kind of the hows and whys of polygamy, as well as a final section on what's kind of the status with things in the church now and some of the teachings. It is very brief. If you've read like Brian Hell's series on polygamy, there's not going to be much new. But if you have friends who have questions or people who've heard about some of the more controversial aspects, but you don't want to just dump volumes and volumes of books on them all at once, this is a great little resource to kind of get them started. The other volume is called Religion and Mental Health. And again, there's been a lot of controversy in the past about mental health in the church. Uh, Boyd Packer back in the 70s gave some talks about how you should just kind of fix it on your own and go to the bishop and not go to mental health counselors. It really caused some controversy. And the author of this one, Daniel K. Judd, has a PhD in uh, psychology and related subjects, and he takes on both kind of the theological and medical aspects of a number of subjects related to mental health, depression, anxiety, various uh, psychotic disorders. And so it's really kind of a helpful guide to current LDS thought as well as current medical thought on some of these subjects. The next volume is going to be on Abraham, uh, the book of Abraham and, and related subject. A, a great little series. Now, we mentioned BCC Press books before. Uh, one more BCC we want to mention is Chris Ways, the editor of Mormonism the Movies. I've only read the first essay in it. Uh, I, I'm a bit of a film nerd. I teach English now, but part of my background is that I had a bachelor's in film from BYU. Uh -huh. So I, I, I love film and reading and studying and watching films. And I've really enjoyed what I've read in this book so far. It's got a number of essays and they tackle different aspects of film and how it relates to Mormonism, not just Mormon-made films, but for instance, the very first essay uh, starts out by talking about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and touch on aspects of LDS theology and teachings and, and stuff in connection with those. I was surprised by that. It's really almost not at all. Maybe one of the essays is about Mormon-made films and all of the rest are about other films and kind of Mormon takes, using Mormon theology, Mormon worldviews to look at these various kinds of various films. That's a lot of fun. I think people really enjoy this, especially if you love to watch movies. I mean, 2001 A Space Odyssey gets mentioned in here, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Forrest Gump, Taxi Driver, a couple of the others I noticed. So a lot of, a lot of fun films and their take on theology and other things. So I, I think it'd be a fun book for a lot of people to read. Okay. Now, turning to the literary side of things, 2021 was not a big year for LDS-written novels. Very few this year compared to the last decade or so. A lot of great creative nonfiction. We mentioned Charles Inouye's A Zyner Zen Sky and Sam Brown's Where the Soul Hungers. There's also a edited volume, Karen Anderson and Daniel Dabrowski edited Blossom as the Cliff Rose, Mormon Legacies and the Beckoning Wild. 
which is a collection of essays and poetry about Mormonism and the environment, the American Western environment. Uh, so really beautiful pieces in that. Also, there's just came out a memoir, I believe, by Taylor Kirby called Scrupulous from BCC Press about scrupulousness in religion. Does anybody have any, know anything about that book? I just bought it. <laughs> oh, okay. Also, another memoir is Alison Hong Merrill has 99 Fire Hoops. Uh, Alison is from Taiwan, and it's her story of coming to the United States, being married to a young return missionary, and that marriage very quickly falls apart and rebuilding her life in the United States. And I've heard really good things about that book as well. Allison is our creative nonfiction editor at Dial. So a lot of good things in creative nonfiction. In comics, comics has been an interesting year. There's been an interesting trend the last couple of years of comic books about Joseph Smith. In 2020, there was Pillar of Light, Joseph Smith's First Vision by Andrew Knopp and Sal Veludo, both professional comic artists. That was a finalist for the AML Award. And this year, we have Mark Elwood's The Glass Looker. Andrew, you've seen that book, haven't you? Yes, I had the chance to meet Mark Elwood at Sunstone last summer, and I managed to convince him to part with one of his two preview copies he had made. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved this graphic novel. Mark did a lot of research, and a lot of study into early sources on Joseph Smith, and he took a lot of these often competing stories that people shared, and he kind of managed to put them all together in a comprehensive way. And he admits in it that, you know, some of these contradict each other a little bit, but he's going to put them all out there and let people kind of judge for themselves. But he tells these stories from Joseph Smith's time as a young boy uh, through the time that he was searching for his seer stone and first learning about the gold plates. It's just a fascinating and exciting book to read. The artwork is beautiful. He uses colors well, and he, he has sections in here that provide the story and the people's own words. So if you love early LDS history and early aspects of the Restoration Movement and Joseph Smith, this is a very fun and unusual take on that. And you get all of the aspects of uh, Joseph Smith meeting Sally Chase and learning to use a seer stone and how that all ties into the story. And it, it's a wonderful graphic novel and it's well put together. For $30, you're getting a great deal. And I would highly encourage anyone to check this one out. So we have Mark Elwood's book as the second book on Joseph Smith. And then in 2022, Noah Van Skyver is going to come out with Joseph Smith and the Mormons, which is a full biography of his entire life. And Skyver, Van Skyver is a fantastic comic artist. I mean, he's really one of the top people in, in the country. And he comes from a Mormon background. And I, I've, I've seen a lot of these previews of what are these going to look like. And there's beautiful art. And I'm very excited about, about that. Uh, also in comics, Matt Page is come out with his second volume of his Future Day Saints. The Nolamite Crystal is this one. Uh, have you seen that one, Andrew? I do. I've got a copy. I, I absolutely love Matt Page and his work. Uh, people might be familiar with him from his graphic art. He, he likes to take kind of Mormon themes and mix them with movies. So he's got one of Frodo catching the one ring, but it's a CTR ring mm -hmm. and other kind of fun <laughs> stuff like that. And he started this Future Day Saints comic series that's set like a thousand years in the future. And you have these humans and aliens and others living on uh, another planet where they've all gathered together in New Zion. And this kind of picks up the story from the first volume. It's just a lot of great fun. You get a bit of LDS theology and history with a lot of fantasy and other fun stuff. And if you if you like your Mormonism peculiar, this is definitely um, peculiar Mormonism. So it's a fun book to check out. 
such an event of mine. And one other comic that came out uh, this year is Shannon Hale and Luyuan Pham came out with a third volume of a memoir graphic novel, Forever Friends. And this is about Shannon's growing up in middle school and maybe into high school in this volume. A, a really lovely memoir graphic novel. Now, speaking of a odd look at Mormonism, I think the one really interesting novel from 2021 is D.J. Butler and Aaron Michael Ritchie's The Jupiter Knife. This is the second volume of the Cunning Man series about a world in which magic works and a Mormon farmer from 1930s Lehigh, so in the Depression, goes around with somewhat of the of the presiding bishoprics uh, support, although some members of the church don't trust uh, these magic and cunning man skills, but some people in the presiding bishopric do. And he, in this volume, he and his son go to Moab and interact with some supernatural forces there. Really interesting take on some folk magic ideas that really existed. You know, these ideas really existed, but putting them into a world where they work and how they interact with Mormon ideas of priesthood and purity and charity. I, I highly recommend uh, the second volume in the series. All right. Is there any other books that we didn't cover that anybody wants to make sure that we do? I just feel like I talked way too much and Christina's way smarter than I am. So I, I hope that <laughs> we get to hear a lot of her. I mean, I always learn from all of you. I only read history because I'm a boring person. So, I mean, <laughs> knowing about novels and comics is great. This is not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm excited to read the books here that I haven't yet, and I'm excited to see what comes out in 2022. Thank you so much for participating. Thank you. Thank you. So exciting. Thank you for listening to the Dialogue Book Report. This show is produced and edited by me, with additional editing and music by Daniel Foster-Smith. Our content manager is Emily Jensen, and this show is part of the Dialogue Podcast Network, a collective of independent, interesting podcasts, which promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion of all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, and arts and culture, including wonderful shows like Face and Hat, featuring Aaron Brewster and Eric Jepson. Find out more at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network.